Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere that it needs to be in the U.S. A topic that is constant on, on this show has been economic development and how broadband can impact economic development. And I'm in the middle of a survey where I am asking economic development professionals, you know, in their mind, how does broadband achieve what it does on the economic development end of things? And what has been interesting to me is that at a national level and in the media and so forth, there is this storyline along the effects of build this network and all these great economic benefits will fall from the sky. And I think that's very unrealistic. Number one, half the benefits that that people attribute to broadband who aren't actually in the economic business um, aren't necessarily true. And this survey typically brings this to the fore. One of the things this year that we're looking at is how do you actually get more startups? How do you get entrepreneurs to be more effective? How do people really mag, uh, maximize the benefit of the network? And today I'm very happy to have uh, as our guest uh, Marcus Whitney, who is the co-founder of Jumpstart Foundry and also Moon Toast. We'll talk about the toast later. But, but Jumpstart Foundry is really how his, he, he came to my attention because his business is creating startups, and he's in Nashville, and Nashville is one of those places on the map, if you believe the hype that Google has put out, that they're on the map to receive uh, possibly a Google Fiber network. So the question is, if, if, if Fiber were to you know, show up in, in Nashville, would we start to see more jobs, and, and what kind of jobs would those be? And so I've asked Marcus to join us and really get into depth about this because he knows how to start up and move and motivate businesses. Marcus, welcome to the show. Thanks, Greg. It's great to be here. So let's start with um, what does the foundry do because that's kind of key to this whole discussion we're about to have on uh, broadband as a job creator and as a business startup creator. Got it. Um, well, Jumpstart Foundry is one uh, of many uh, business accelerators in uh, the world today. Um, we are about five years old, and uh, we've graduated about 30 companies uh, through our accelerator program. Um, we are probably most similar to a program uh, that maybe some of your listeners know of called Techstars, um, where we uh, give a team uh, that is going to start a business, and usually that team consists of a business um, leader and a technical leader, <clears throat> and we give that team uh, a small amount of money. In our case, it's uh, $15,000 in cash and then $15,000 in services uh, in exchange for uh, a small amount of common stock equity. In our case, that's 6%. Um, and then, we, uh, like I said, we provide them with services such as legal docs, um, you know, giving them housing if they're moving to Nashville for, uh, for the, the period of the cohort. And then they, they go with us through a 14-week journey uh, where we come in, we evaluate their business model, we run them through um, many lean startup and customer, customer development processes, um, also processes that we've collaborated with the National Entrepreneur Center on in terms of bringing them from a founder to a CEO and making sure that they're ready to be able to raise money at the end of the 14 weeks. Um, at the end of 14 weeks, our expectations is that if they came in without a product, they will have a product or at least a prototype. Um, they will have at least um, a, a very interested customer that has uh, signed some type of letter of intent. Usually we like to have a paying customer at the end of the program. Um, and then we, uh, we cap the 14 weeks with uh, an investor day um, where we usually have about 600 people in attendance uh, live, and it's uh, kind of an all-day event. And then we also stream online where thousands of other people watch. Um, after Investor Day, when they've uh, made their pitches and they graduate, then they go off uh, to raise money, and usually about 65% of them end up uh, raising follow-on funds uh, uh, north of about seven fifty hundred thousand dollars dollars So in some respects, this is similar to what Chattanooga has started doing with its uh, gig tank, right, where they bring in 
these teams and they, they start them off at the beginning of the summer and they mentor them. They do a whole series of activities and then they graduate them out of the program at the end of August. And I bring this up mainly because Gig Tank has been on my show a couple times and maybe some of the listeners will remember that process. So are you, are you similar, different? Markably different. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I would I would say that we're similar. You know, when we, when we started five years ago, we were um, we were part of what at that time was called the TechStars Accelerator Network, and has now been turned into the Global Accelerator Network. And we were one of the first ten companies uh, uh, accelerator programs to be a member of that. Um, so we were part of a very short list of programs that were available. The systems around, you know, there was no angel list, there was no fsuccess.com. Um, and so uh, things were kind of very remedial at that point, I would say, for the mm-hmm. um, tech product accelerator world. Um, you know, since then, other programs like, uh, you know, uh, Gig Tank have, uh, have emerged. Uh, if you go on angel list today, I think the latest count is there's north of 1,200 accelerators. Um, so, you know, lots of programs have, have cropped up and, uh, and, and so I think, you know, now it's become uh, an issue where pretty much every, you know, major metropolitan city has at least one, if not more than one, accelerator. Um, many uh, uh, government organizations, uh, as, a result, as a kind of method of economic development, are setting up accelerators. Um, mm-hmm. So you have all sorts, you know, um, accelerator opportunities, which are great, you know, for, for our country and then also, you know, kind of for the larger global startup community. But... Um, I think it really boils down to uh, a level of quality and experience um, uh, that that the accelerator brings to the company. Because at the end of the day, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, there's many different ways you can get your company off the ground. Uh, and while we do provide some amount of money, um, we do take equity. And so, you know, if there's only a hundred points of equity in a, in a company, right? There's not 101. So. Um, you know, if you're going to uh, be granting equity to an accelerator, you need to make sure that the accelerator is going to actually accelerate. Um, so Jumpstart's got a pretty good track record as far as that's concerned. Uh, most recently, uh, the CD accelerator rankings for the United States were uh, were published in South by Southwest, and we were um, ranked inside the top 15 uh, uh, nationwide, and we were the uh, top uh, ranking one in the Southeast United States. And so we, you know, we're we're proud of that. We feel like we've got a um, great program, a great group of mentors, which is the backbone of our program. Um, and we've got five years of learning, uh, as well as a kind of a, a strong venture community that supports what we do. Mm-hmm. And would it be accurate to say that the difference between an accelerator and an incubator is really the speed at which you try to get them from idea to finished product and a marketable product, I guess. Um, I, I, I think so. Um, you know, it, uh, the seed accelerator rankings actually had a definition for it. I think it was um, essentially that they, they provide money um, and educational services in exchange for equity through a cohort program. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that was kind of their, their differentiating definition between an accelerator and an incubator. Uh, and we would tend to agree with that. I mean, you know, it's, I think there are incubators out there that do a really good job of accelerating. So, you know, um, even though we're called Incubator, I wouldn't want to take that away from some of the higher-performing incubators out there. Um, but I think today, you know, an accelerator, you know, the acceleration part should be kind of a default. Like, you know, you better be accelerating. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's about exchanging, you know, some small amount of of cash and uh, and educational services, and it's also usually mentorship-driven. Um, and then uh, graduating a cohort of companies um, that culminates in a demo day where they all end up pitching. That's, that, you know, th- those are typically the, the common uh, traits of an accelerator today. Wow. Interesting. Okay. So let's talk about, um, let's talk about this survey because um, I'm, I'm ready to announce uh, the results of the survey this week. Uh, when I do this survey, I'm looking at a couple of things. One is the, the technology of broadband, right? And we've, in past years, talked about the speed that folks need. And, 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 uh, and in some respects, when you, when you break it down, you know, we talk about gigabit a lot, but not everybody needs a gig. But we kind of get wrapped into this technology discussion. If this technology comes in and if it's fast enough, magic will happen. Well, this year I also wanted to look at some of the, uh, you know, what do you have to do besides building the network? 
because what isn't, I don't think, clear to some folks is that you can get on this whole bandwagon and want to have broadband come in, whether it's through government stimulus, uh, as we had a couple of years ago, whether it's Google Fiber, uh, whether it's community fiber like Chattanooga has a, has a network, Pulaski has a network in Tennessee. Regardless of how you get it, the real battle for economic um, advancement doesn't happen until the network's in place, and that's where the real, real work is. And, and, and from your perspective, it, does that make sense? I think that it does make sense. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm here. Sorry about that. I, I think that it does make sense. Um, you know, we, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a technologist um, by background, right? So um, it's, it's like um, unless you're a full-on futurist, right? If, if you're a practical technologist, you're always trying to push the limits um, uh, in terms of you know programming with what you have available, right? And so mm-hmm. um, usually the, the, the problem-solving energy is spent on the available types of technology. So, you know, you know, engineers today and software architects today are looking at the cloud. They're looking at mobile devices. They're looking at, um, you know, native applications and and uh, browsers and you know some some emerging protocols that are making uh, you know streaming data through um, you know, to mobile devices more efficient um, and, and create a better experience. Um, they're looking at different types of encryption, you know, ways that they can move more things to the to the cloud in a compliant way for many industries. Um, you know, security is a big thing. Uh, th- there are a lot of problems out there to solve just with what we have out there today, right? The minute you start talking about gigabit, you're talking about a completely different, um, a con- completely different playing field, right? I mean, the amount of data that you can push to a device, um, you know, inside of a second grows essentially exponentially, right? So. So I don't think engineers are really actively and aggressively thinking about the problems that could be solved with that. And I'm not even sure entrepreneurs are aggressively thinking about that because it's it's not very practical to think about it today. Um, there's a lot of R&D that needs to happen. I think everyone thinks about the commercial applications of having, you know, better Internet, which is I'll be able to stream my movies or TV or I might be able to ditch cable faster because, you know, increasingly you can get, get more subscriptions for sports uh, events, you know, just through the Internet. Um, there, there's, a, you know, in Nashville we've got uh, two really big uh, industries outside of tourism, and that's uh, music and healthcare, and you can pretty easily see how, the music industry could see ways that they could disintermediate existing channels by being able to, uh, you know, deliver um, its media itself to uh, to its users, at least in the regions that, that have access to, to high-speed Internet um, directly in a way that feels like television. Um, and in the healthcare industry, you could see how uh, being able to pull, push large data over the network um, to potentially save save lives could be, you know, uh, you know, kind of a groundbreaking opportunity. But I mean, I think in in terms of practical application and real acute problems that you could solve, I, I haven't heard anything, you know, um, earth shattering. And I, and you know, quite frankly, that's a I wouldn't call it a criticism, but that's a that's a question that I hear a lot about um, what's going on in Chattanooga. Is like, you know, outside of having really cool internet that's attractive to developers to build companies with, you know, what are you really doing with that? Um, and uh, I haven't heard anything that's, you know, really made me say, hey, we need to go down to Chattanooga and set up a jumpstart, you know, foundry uh, uh, office down there because the, the the opportunity is so differentiated as a result of having gig uh, Ethernet. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So it's it's a um, it's a heavy focus on the technology, not so much a focus on the mechanics of what to do with the technology. I mean, so like we have this list of, of, of benefits and dreams and things we can see, the vision, if you will, of, of seeing how all this stuff is going to happen, but we get head down into the technology or we get, you know, blanketed with the media about the speed, but not so much so about how do you do the, how do you transition from, uh, having the dream, I'm sorry, to getting the dream to, Lord, what do we do now? We have the dream. Right. I mean, I mean, you know, so, so, so one thing that, that's worth noting is that it, Nashville's already got some level of um, gigabit uh, Internet going. We, we've already got dark fiber through um, NES, um, and, you know, a lot of people don't know about it not really being utilized that much that I've heard of. You know, I've, I've heard about the, the National Symphony using it to stream some things. 
um, and uh, you know that it's worked very well. Um, I'm sure that there are uh, organizations and corporations that are using it so they can have their own, you know, essential private internet. Um, but you know, in all the frenzies I'm hearing about Google Fiber, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about the NES network and, and their dark fiber, and it already exists here, right? So, um, so again, I mean, I think I think the thing that Google Fiber ends up bringing is it, it brings the um, the awareness of high speed and truly, truly high speed internet to a consumer level, and that that changes things because then expectations change around what the consumer can do, right, or, or what the everyday working person can do, and then you can start to kind of solve problems um, uh, for those people, or you can start to you know bring uh, you know new experiences and new technologies to those people. Right, right now, you know, it, it, it's, it's not like there's a huge pain in the market around it, right? I mean, everyone wishes that their calls didn't drop, and everyone wishes that, you know, maybe YouTube streamed a little bit better. But I, I never hear anybody complaining about, you know, the you know, data streaming to their to their phone anymore, right? I mean, it could always be better, um, but uh, it's it's just it's just not something that you you really hear as like a consistent issue. So that's not to say that it's not an issue, right? There are many problems we don't know that we have until we get something new, and then we're like, wow, you know, I never knew it could be so good. So so I you know I think um, the the forward thinking you know futurist type uh, you know business leaders technologists. I'm I'm a proponent of having Google Fiber come here. I think it just will give us more opportunities to innovate, you know. And and I'd like to kind of I'd like to be able to actively think about those things because it's a reality and not kind of, you know, uh, hypothetical. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that um, transition because I'm, I'm kind of the, the, the planning person. I mean, I think about, you know, how do you plan to get the network and what are the steps to doing that process? But, um, you know, my background before getting into this space was doing technology marketing for, I'm sorry, marketing of technology products where a lot of the work was defining what it is that people will do with this and how they will do it because that work environment of how they use the technology has all kinds of impacts on whether the technology is going to be effective or not. And, and that you have to, as a business, or at least that was my working philosophy uh, you know, to market this stuff, was you need to show people how to do certain things with this so that when they get the technology in place, they're ready to go. And, you know, that's, I don't know if the rest of the world kind of views this thing that way, but I'm thinking that that's the logical exercise that more people should be going through is that, that con concur concurrent with all of our, you know, push to get Google or push to get broadband and our planning and focus groups about why we need it that somewhere there should be a parallel track of, folks, here's what you're going to do when you get this stuff. Does that seem reasonable? Right. Or? Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, I, I think it's a little more than reasonable. I think it's, I think it's exactly what has to happen, right? Um, and and those, are, you know, those are the same kind of challenges that so, – so one of the things that we've, we've actively been working on um, at Jumpstart that I think is um, going to pay dividends not just for what we're doing but for the whole city – is you know as we as, as we say we're, we're trying to make Nashville a more innovative city overall, and there's there are great blueprints for how to do that, right? So if you can connect the investors, the uh, the entrepreneurs, the creatives, which I you know I'll refer to both kind of the user experience people and the um, the, the software engineers as creatives um, uh, with um, higher education higher education institutions. Um, you have a pretty good recipe for innovation. The only thing is, even if you have a city where all those things exist, you may not necessarily have great relations between all of them, right? And so we have, we've been working over the last, you know, five years pretty aggressively on trying to connect the dots there, right, trying to um, get those four groups of stakeholders to, to work together um, more. Uh, because, you know, at that point, you have a very, very attractive, uh, you know, engine for innovation that corporations can just kind of throw their cha their challenges at and come out with solutions very quickly. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in in lieu of that, corporations will continue to just basically look to acquire um, solutions to their business problems rather than you know grow them internally or grow them in the city where they where they live. Um, so so to me, the same challenges that you're talking about in terms of how do you figure out what to do as a city because, you know, many of the businesses that should be built in a city should relate to the industries where that city has strength um, mm -hmm. are also the same challenges that, that we have trying to build an innovative startup ecosystem, right? To me, 
um, high-speed Internet is just a component of, of, a, of a great innovative ecosystem. If you don't have those other things in place, you're going to have you know, a great product for consumers, but it's not going to have a net impact on, on jobs or companies or, um, or innovation at all. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, looking at the survey, uh, some of the preliminary survey results, you know, 36% of the people surveyed said it's quite likely that broadband can encourage entrepreneurship among underserved urban and rural uh, individuals. And I think that's, you know, what you're saying is that, you know, there's definitely the potential to impact um, and encourage people to, to start companies. Uh, one of the things, you know, I asked folks about was, well, what else do you need? And mentorship seemed to be the biggest thing, right? They were, you know, there was, there was business management skills, marketing skills, I think things that come into the category of economic gardening, you know, all these various supports you give businesses. But the mentoring part seems to have had the biggest amount of support among economic development people that, you know, if you want to get entrepreneurs to be successful entrepreneurs, that's got to be part of the package. And I'm guessing that, you know, given how the foundry operates, that this makes a whole lot of sense to you. Yeah, completely. I mean, with, with, without our mentors, we don't have a program. Um, because, you know, at a certain point in the program, um, it's not educational anymore. It's about rubber meeting the road. Um, and, and that's usually about after the first month, right? The first month feels very academic. It's a lot about um, poking holes in their business model, uh, you know, helping them to um, try to get something that actually makes sense and, you know, people can, can believe what you can actually take to market. Um, and getting some amount of testing on that. But at a certain part, it becomes much less academic. You need people who are going to you know, go deeper than, than we will in the classroom setting. And only mentors can do that because, you know, if we bring in 10 companies a year, those 10 companies are different companies, right? Um, putting them all in one classroom, it, it, you know, they, we can only teach them lessons that all 10 of them will definitely have, right? So we talk about things like operations and HR and things like that, but at a certain point, their own specific business model issues need to be addressed, and um, mentors are critical for that. Uh, and, and, you know, really that's, that's the hallmark of the Jumpstart Foundry program, um, uh, our uh, uh, the, the incubator here in town, uh, which has its own uh, set of accelerators, the Entrepreneur Center, is, is mentorship-driven. So, we, you know, we've, we've gotten to a point now, I mean, our, our development community um, is, is mentorship-driven. We've got a Nashville Software School where the leading developers in town are training people who would like to be developers to become junior-level developers so they can get jobs. You know, so, so over the last five years, we've built a culture of, um, of, uh, of, of mentorship here in the city, and it's, it's helping us to to grow more homegrown talent, to um, to make sure that the businesses that we launch here are more sustainable because they're not out there on their own. There are other people who are invested at a minimum emotionally, if not uh, financially. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you, um, if, if you're going to say that broadband uh, encourages entrepreneurship, but if you say that we're going to do this at the, underserved levels, people who are typically not part of the mainstream, you know, your, your urban poor, your rural poor. Um, how, do you, how do you see, you know, having this miracle called broadband and actually getting folks who have not been engaged before with the community to, to want to become entrepreneurs? Yeah, I, I'm... You know, I mean, I, I think you'll have a couple of um, unique cases where you'll have people who have been thinking about um, certain businesses, but they were um, broadband um, prohibitive, uh, and so they didn't launch them. And so for those people, once you do have, you know, uh, it, I just think it's funny. I, you know, we, we keep referring to broadband, and I'm thinking about what broadband meant uh, in kind of 2000. Um, <laughs> well, it's a very yeah, different it's world. very different then. It's a very, very different world. Um, but, yeah, you know, maybe there are some businesses today that are broadband, broadband prohibitive, and so, you know, when you do have broadband, those businesses can actually happen. But, you know, um, it's not happening nationally, right? I mean, we're still rolling out a city at a time, so um, any such business would have to be thinking regionally um, unless it's thinking about, you know, kind of deploying their, their services in a, in, a, in a country that's fully kind of gigabit-enabled. Um mm-hmm. So, so again, I mean, I, I think a lot of the stuff is going to be um, 
internally focused. Uh, it's going to be more about security. It's going to be about being able to pass um, you know, large amounts of data kind of uh, within your region to some significant end or being able to disintermediate other channels um, where you can uh, uh, deliver media to your to your to your uh, engagement base uh, without having to leverage some some uh, some other media channel. You know, I, I don't I don't see it on its own kind of being this huge thing. But but again, um, we, we have to be able to play with it, right? I mean, as 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 technologists and as entrepreneurs, if we can't tinker with it, it it's just not even really real, right? Um, we need to be able to play with it and, and fool around with it and try and break it and see what we can actually do with it to start to spur some of the ideas um, that will that will become companies as a result of it. Mm-hmm. So, but is there a, is there a um, I don't know is there an education element that has to happen? I mean, do you have to uh, first teach fo- teach people that this is an option? You know, because again, if you if you separate it from like, like, for example, if I go into some small town, if I create a, uh, mm-hmm. a maker space, right, I get some Wi-Fi in an area, and I open up the door, say there's an abandoned warehouse or some sort of big, big yep. building, and I say, you know, all you creative people come in and just, you know, get to the Internet, do what you want to do, and it's like a giant playpen, right? Now, I would expect that folks who are inclined to be, you know, tech-centric, the people who are inclined to be, you know, curious about this stuff in the first place are going to be the ones who who show up. But am I going to get, you know, inner-city kids who, you know, have gang issues in their communities and, you know, their schools may be so-so on, on quality or overcrowded, what have you, um, or I'm in the rural area where they're just isolated, you know, once I get past those people who are naturally inherently gravitating toward technology and they're just jumping on this because they've been waiting for fast broadband for years, will that, that same dyna- will there be a different dynamic for the less privileged folks in the room? And if so, how do you get them into the process? Yeah, I mean that 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 problem feels beyond me. I, I I've actually been involved um, uh, to to some degree with um, an economic development uh, initiative um, around computer science um, in one of the poorest counties in um, in Tennessee, and you know it it's just so different from what we're doing here at Jumpstart. I mean, you know, a lot of it is just kind of um, you know pr- pride, you know, being able to to have some amount of pride in your in your area where, where you live, right? That mm-hmm. like you know, um, good things can happen there, um, and that you can um, that you can build something and potentially you know sustain yourself and your family in this you know town or city that maybe your family's been in for a long time. Now a lot of these towns, the reason why they why they even exist at all is they were at one time you know big agricultural centers or big um, industrial centers and. You know, as those those various um, industries have um, been uh, you know d- disrupted, the town you know stayed, but you know the the money and the businesses the businesses left. Um, so you know they're trying to um, reinvent themselves through technology, and uh, you know I, I don't think you can call those those types of areas you know um, targets for accelerators, right? I mean, if you're doing that kind of stuff, a lot a lot of those things are you know true nonprofit kind of initiatives that have way more meaning than just the innovation. You know, they're, they're about people, um, and, and those people feeling, you know, good about themselves. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're not going to create, you know, uh, generally speaking, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to rule things out here, right, but they're, they're not going to create the same type of businesses that are going to graduate out of Jumpstart Foundry. It's just not reasonable. It doesn't make sense, right, because there's a certain amount of revenue that pumps through Nashville and Davidson County as a, you know, major metropolitan city. Um, there are certain industries and there are buyers here wait, that have, you know, need for solutions that just don't exist in, in some of those other counties, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if you're going to sell and service um, one of these businesses, you know, relationships are important. Your ability to, to comply with, um, you know, uh, uh, what, what, whatever... Um, compliance uh, requirements those companies have, all, all those kind of things, you know, factor in. Um, I, I just, I, I just feel like it's so far away, right? 
mm-hmm. <laughs> like like you know, you know what 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 we're talking about there. I think um, broadband is going to be meaningful and useful in generally speaking progressive cities that already have you know um, you know decent education infrastructure, um, you know d- decent uh, overall. Uh, Kind of uh, incomes for the for the population that's there, um, and already show trends of you know creating uh, uh, not just trends but also proof points, being able to create innovative companies that are successful. Um, you know, out, outside of that, you're just looking at a very very different thing. Um, you know, when when you're talking about a, you know one of these towns that really is uh, uh, facing challenges far beyond anything that broadband in and of itself could solve. Hmm, okay. So there, there's got to be a certain amount of um, adjustments of your approach is basically what it comes down to. It's like if you're going to, as a community, try to uh, incubate and accelerate tech companies, there's a certain both mindset and also tactics that you use to get people to start those kinds of businesses. But if you have another group of folks who aren't ne- aren't necessarily technology inclined, you have to create maybe different paths, different mentors, different you know reasons for why you want to be an entrepreneur. That yeah, I mean, I mean com- companies companies take all types, right? So like mm-hmm. you know if you're if you're looking at the broadband, you're saying okay, so so here here's kind of the technical look at it, right? Technically, I could have broadband access, which could mean that I could set up a server and, you know, run my business and also, you know, get access to educational content, you know, very, very quickly. And as a result of that, I could reach and effectively sell anybody anywhere in the world. And I would say, okay, but what's the difference between that and having a cable connection today? I mean, really, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, most, most people are hosting their online businesses on some type of infrastructure as a service or platform as a service, right? It's either like Amazon or Heroku or something like that, right? I mean, people aren't, aren't going to data centers today to build their businesses anyway, right? So, so then you need all of the other things that, that matter to be able to successfully build a business, right? You need marketing, right? Um, you, need, you need customer service. You need, you, you, know, you need all these things. And so, and so you've got to have training along all those different tracks. Like it's not just building a – it's not just building a technology. I've seen plenty of technology products that you know just didn't even didn't even work. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, so, that's, so that's building true. building a building a great company building a great company is um and and that's one of the things that we address at Jumpstart right is like okay you know sometimes we have um, great technical leadership but the but the business side is really weak. So they're not going to be effective in sales. They're not going to be effective in marketing. They're not going to be effective in customer retention. Um, and, and we have to really shore them up on all those things. And that's why all of our mentors aren't always technology-focused and um, all of our uh, you know, kind of curriculum and training uh, is not all technology-focused. It's, it's, a, it's a holistic thing. So, so to me, you know, like I said, broadband provides certain types of experiences that I think um, can change the way people experience a city, right? I mean, I think mm-hmm. you could see how, um, you know, zoos and museums and, um, you know, other types of public uh, uh, benefits to a city could have all sorts of new interactive experiences as a result of having, uh, you know, gig internet. You, could, you, you know, you can see those types of things, and those, and those things would bring the awareness of the connectivity to the surface, but... Um, you know, again, I mean, I think it's something that, that, that we have to live with, and we, we've already got examples of cities that already have access to Google Fiber or have access to um, to some type of you know, gigabit uh, internet. And you, you're, not, you're just not seeing, like, total revolutions happening as a result of that. Um, a lot of benefits for consumers, though. Mm-hmm. One of the... Um one of the things that I found interesting reading about uh, your your group and what they do is that you have this was a twelve or fourteen step process or fourteen week process. Rob, sorry. Yeah, fourteen um, weeks. Yep. Let's go through some of what you do during those processes because it seems like whether or not I would be trying to recruit and mentor people for a tech startup 
or a, you know, traditional services or maybe even light manufacturing down the road. You know, I want to take advantage of 3D printing and yep. all things that are happening in that area. This core set of, of activities are still important in some way, even if you're not mentoring techie companies. So just kind of walk through what you do. Sure. Um, so, so we always start by, um, you know, focusing on the, on the customer. Um, we find, generally speaking, entrepreneurs, while they are, um, you know, courageous, uh, you know, world-changing people, and, you know, they are always kind of the hero in our story, um, they also can sometimes have blind spots um, and, you know, start to really, you know, fall in love with their idea and their concept and, and forget about um, the value that they're bringing to, uh, to the market and to the customer and why they even care about it. So um, we, we try to start there. Right? We try to have them, you know, pitch to us, pitch to their other uh, cohort mates, um, and then be able to explain from a business model perspective why there's actually even any value in what they're doing. Um, usually there's a hole in there too. Um, occasionally we have a company that's that's in the you know in the program and they've already been up and running, but they believe that they need uh, a lot of refinement to their business model to be able to scale it. So you know sometimes there aren't as many holes as others, but um, usually there's always one or two holes in there. Mm-hmm. Um, then we kind of run, run them through the process of um, uh, getting uh, market validation quickly and uh, and prototyping. Um, a lot of this, a lot of these exercises are internal. We don't unleash them out on the um, on the market yet because uh, they're they're usually very sensitive at this point in time. Um, mm-hmm. uh, after kind of having their idea be you know kind of blown up, <laughs> uh, so to speak, <laughs> so we, we do a lot of things internally just with um, uh, our staff and, and the other mentors there, and then uh, then we introduce them to the customer development process, which is created by a gentleman named Steve Blank. Um, and uh, he developed it while uh, while he was at uh, Stanford. I think he's still there uh, in the School of Entrepreneurship. Um, and, and basically, the, the the philosophy behind customer development is that um, the the type of team that uh, launches a startup and the type of team that gets a startup to scale are two different types of teams, right? Um, mm-hmm. The team that launches a startup is essentially uh, a team that is in search of a working business model, and they are you know 100 uh, percent focused on that. So. What they start with is a hypothesis, and then they have to iterate through uh, an interactive process of interviewing customers, um, you know, building out the product and, and getting market feedback to get from, you know, their hypothesis to a, a true proven business model, or in some cases an invalidated business model that should just be thrown out, uh, which is, you know, also, you know, just as good sometimes, you know, save everybody their life and, uh, and a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, so we, we, uh, we, we teach them that process, and kind of use that as a framework for much of what they'll do for the remaining 14 weeks. Uh, we teach them about the importance of being data-driven. So, um, you know, it's really easy in a startup to um, overly uh, focus or give too much credence to kind of qualitative feedback and uh, mm-hmm. quantitative feedback. So, you know, we, we try to make them understand what the different drivers are of their business. Um, uh, and, and in terms of make, make them understand, we make them focus on helping us to understand what, what drives their business, and you know sometimes they don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Usually, you can you can um, highlight one core metric and one core equation that ultimately drives your business, and then there are a lot of other supporting uh, equations and metrics around that. Um, so so we kind of get them to, to focus in on that, uh, and then create some set of dashboards that they also will kind of keep up to date and use to report to the cohort, to the to the mentors, uh, et cetera, and to their team. Um, and then we talk about, you know, kind of basic things to your point, uh, you know, hiring, um, uh, how to, uh, you know, execute the product, um, maintain the balance between what the customer needs and your vision, um, you know, because you can't 100% go by what the customer says. Um, so, you know, you've got to kind of learn how to keep that balance. Um, learning about uh, competition and, you know, looking at the market, how you differentiate, do you have any intellectual property, um, how to actually go to market with a, a message um, and, and how to define your audience. Pricing and packaging, um, how to go about getting customers to sign up for pilots, um, how to build a pipeline for sales and project out sales, uh, financial operations, P&L, uh, and, then, and then we, we get into pitching. So some of these things we end up doing in parallel. 
Um, this is not exactly what our program will look like this year. This is kind of how it's looked in previous years. We're, we're making some amendments that we haven't public, publicly announced yet uh, mm-hmm. to, to the process, but those are, those are all kind of, you know, key points that we go through in the, um, through the 14 weeks. Now, if someone wanted to do something uh, similar, you know, you have, uh, if you look at the country at large, there are various um, examples, you know, um, oh, what the heck is it? Chattanooga has its gig tank. Uh, other places mm-hmm. have variations on a 48-hour startup. Um, I forget what they have in Kansas. They have a similar kind of, you know, accelerate program. How do you start this so that you minimize, you know, the the expense part and you minimize the uh, chances of failure as much as you can minimize these things to get it off the ground? You know, I, I'm in fact I'm working with a, with a city now in in Iowa, Tumwa, and during the need assessment process, we identified and got consensus for creating a what we call an idea accelerator where there were there was a lot of good um, uh, well how can I describe it there, there were a lot of kids coming out of the community college in Tumla that were going straight into robotics and uh, laser optics because for whatever circumstances the college just put out excellent students in those disciplines so we said okay well we have this this um, uh, broadband network. We we build a you know a gigabit network or whatever it's going to be. Why don't we create a an idea accelerator? Why don't we create a process by which people you know these kids with good ideas can use the network to link with companies across the U.S. in some sort of focused coordinated program. So if I wanted to minimize the you know the chance if I wanted to maximize the chance for success. Aside from starting small, what other advice is there for a community like this? Well, um, you know, there's a, there's an organization called the Global Accelerator Network, um, <laughs> and they're probably kind of um, uh, the, the the best standards organization out there right now for what a high performing accelerator looks like. Um, so you could reach out to them, and they could give you a lot of guidance on you know um, how to structure your accelerator in a way to be high performing. Um, I think that's probably the first step I, I do. Um, and then, you know, I think a lot about what the model was going to be and uh, how you were going to build a supportive ecosystem around it. So, um, you know, if you're going to graduate uh, companies every year, um, you need to be able to f- make sure those companies get funded. Um, so you need to make sure that uh, if there is an investment community around you that they are invested in your accelerator and, you know, are kind of committed to at least, you know, taking a good hard look at the company that you're going to graduate at a minimum. Um, that kind of stuff's important. Um, and then, you know, you've got to build a, a really strong mentor base, and, and uh, usually you need to have a home base as well. The cohort needs to all be in the same, in the same location. Um, so those are kind of um, just, you know, three real basic, uh, you know, tips that, that you could take if you're looking at starting your own. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing, though, is that in the case of Atumwa and in the case of a number of communities that are building these networks, they don't necessarily have that as a uh, – when I say that, they don't usually have access to investors or access to people with marketing skills. In other words, where Chattanooga and Kansas City and Nashville have advantage is that you guys have large colleges relatively close. You have a fairly large population. And, and so some of these resources are natural. But if i got a community of 25,000 people and it's mostly rural, I don't have the same types of resources. Like in the Tumwa's case, they have a very good community college that creates very skilled you know, people to be in those two industries, but it's not the same as having a four-year college, which might be, you know, a hundred miles away. So I view the the, the network, the, broad, the 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 fiber network, as the way to create digitally what you have as a physical, you know, closeness of resources. Um, is 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 that digital vision viable in your mind, or are we going to always be behind the eight ball 
because we don't have a physical closeness to some of these resources you've described? Um, so I don't think I, I, uh, um, I do not think that I'm in a position to say um, what, what somebody can't do. I don't like to kind of say those things. I'll, I'll usually end up being pro- proven wrong in those things. <laughs> I can tell you that um, that being able to bring everybody into a physical space for us has been very, very useful and very helpful, and I think it's given us an advantage in being able to perform better um, mm-hmm. than maybe some other accelerators have. Um, and I think especially, you know, even though Nashville, um, as you mentioned, is, is kind of dense in, in many resources and, and, uh, and in many aspects, we're, we're not as dense in, in many resources and aspects as in New York or San Francisco, for example, well, um, yeah. or, maybe even in, or, or maybe even in Austin, right? So, so yeah. for us, we have to look for things that, that can um, strengthen and bolster um, what we do have as an advantage. And, you know, one of the things we have here that's very strong for us is we have a very, a very strong community feel. You know, um, community is a really important part of, of Nashville. Um, and, uh, you know, it's really kind of in, in just about every way you could think of. I mean, I think the first time I really, really understood it was when we had our flood, um, and, uh, you know, basically the whole city just shut down and, and took time off to fix the city, right? You know, we didn't wait for, you know, for FEMA or anything like that to kind of, you know, fix the city for us. We all, you know, pitched in and, and took care of it. And uh, I think since then I've been, I've been, you know, acutely aware of how important it is for, um, our city to be in the same room as often as possible. So we have lots of events here, and that's a that's a big deal for us. We enjoy spending time together, um, kind of outside of work, outside of the office, and um, I think it's a big deal for for JumpStart. I think when when a company moves here from another city and they come to Nashville to be a part of our accelerator, not saying that needs to be um, a goal of any accelerator anybody else is working on, but for us, we like to bring in out of town talent because we want people to to you know love and appreciate our city because we think it's fantastic. And, you know, what's incredibly important is that, you know, they are literally physically embraced by the people here. Um, and so, you know, for us, it's a, it's a big deal, and I don't think we can replace that with, um, with broadband, uh, you know, not, not, not in our case. Um, you know, now, for other cities, you know, it, broadband may be exactly what you need, you know, because it, it just may not be viable or reasonable to be able to, you know, connect the community otherwise. And I would say in those cases, Awesome. You should use it, right? You should use all the tools that are available to try and create whatever community um, you possibly can. Uh-huh. And 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 how important is it to have a um, what was the best way to describe this? Kind of a community spirit behind the project. Um, uh, you know, I, uh, I I I tell folks that you know there's a there's a technical side of these things. There's a business operational side, but there's also an emotional side. I mean, there's a, by and by emotion, I mean there. It seems to be that people develop a certain level of pride. You know, these maker spaces seem to uh, thrive on like this this feeling of community. You know, there's a startup village in Kansas City where there's like an esprit de corps, if you will, even if you live in the neighborhood and you're not, you know, a tech person or whatever, it's just that you have this thing, makes you very proud and you talk about it and promote it. How big is the emotion side of things, you know, sort of that community emotion of support behind the the, the program? Uh, I mean, I, I find the emotional part to be huge. I mean, it, it's, it's huge for me personally. Um, you know, I've, I've never, I've never taken, uh, a dollar of pay for for working at Jumpstart. Um, you know, it's always been um, a uh, you know, it, it's always been about the passion of helping to to take this city to the next level from uh, the perspective of innovation. You know, and uh, and you know, every year we, we we work with you know incredibly brave people who put it all on the line to try and create something that that is a dream of theirs. And that's you know, it's it's awesome to be able to help them do that. And for them to, you know, make the choice to do it in Nashville and to continue to call Nashville home is a, is a big deal. So I think, um, you know, the emotional part of it is, um, you know, the emotional part is what drives all the mentorship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every, everybody could be doing other things, right? You could be playing golf. You could be, you know, at the, bar, at the pub. You could do a million things, right? But, I mean, 
in addition to what you do every day to, to put food on the table, you know, and kind of get your own, you know, business or company that you own or work for, you know, um, moving forward, to then take additional time to, to help mentor, you know, uh, ambitious entrepreneurs or ambitious creatives or, you know, anybody is, um, that's, that's about emotion, you know, at the end mm-hmm. of the day. So, so I, I definitely think that's a, that's a big part of it. So we should definitely then stick with that as a um, as a formula. I know when I bring this subject up, sometimes people look at you like a little. What do you, what do you mean? This sort of touchy feely, emotional thing. But um, I would say, at least in my experience, and I look at if I look at Silicon Valley, that there's a lot of this. Is that um, the the emotion, the emotion element, the warm and fuzzy. Is a, should be a big part of the broadband project in general. You know, if we're still just talking about we're going to get this network because it's going to change how we do business, right? If you do your needs assessment a certain way and you start asking people and you bring them into the process of, you know, developing consensus and all the rest of it, I think this grows, you know, almost automatically but I think that, you know, it needs to be talked, it needs to be planned for, not, well, maybe planned for is not a good word, but you understand what I'm saying, is that, you know, people need to acknowledge that this is important and you need to do things along the way that feed into that um, benefit that, that having emotional support of the program can deliver. Yeah, I, I mean, look, you, you've got to be supported in what you're trying to do, right? I mean, for... For for us, we 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 love Nashville. We think the the balance of quality in life, as well as in, you know, really really cool smart people who can do great things, is pretty much unmatched in the country. Right? Um, there are plenty of cities where there's lots of smart people, there's lots of money, there's lots of industries you can sell into. But um, every time I get off a plane in Nashville, like I exhale and I feel like uh, like I can breathe again. Right? Because um, it's just it's just awesome here, right? So, so you know, you gotta ha- you gotta have a whole movement of people who who believe that same thing and are gonna you know kind of play their part to make that happen. Um, mm-hmm. And and that's you know and 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 you know maybe that's not the story for every single city, right? Maybe some cities are just trying to you know make sure that people have some sense of pride in the city. Maybe they're just trying to you know um, help people you know stay employed. I mean, every every place is gonna have its own story. Um, you know, but the story is important, um, and uh, and you need to have support for your story, and everything else will will kind of follow. I mean, I think we've we, we've we've become you know kind of one of Google's tech hubs, and now a you know a potential city for Google Fiber because when Google came here, they they felt that there is a you know there's a passion that's held by you know a group of people here, and you know they want to be involved with that. Because mm-hmm. we're going to make it happen with or without them, right? So you know, those are the kind of those are the kind of people you want to work with, right? People that are going to that are going to do it regardless. Right. No, that, that definitely makes sense. Uh, we've got about mm, six or seven minutes here. Let's talk for a little bit about the other company that you're involved with, Moon Toast. What's all What's all that? What's going on with that? Yeah. So so I mean, there, there's a there's a huge opportunity right now. Um, because of the disruption of mobile devices and uh, and social networks, for brands to to find new ways to engage and build relationships with their their customers. Um, and generally speaking, you know, across the board, they're still doing things um, uh, the same way. And th- this is not just you know in terms of how they're doing advertising and marketing. I mean, if you look at their organizations, um, the organizations are still structured the same time, uh, uh, the, the same way. Right, so so you know what Moontoast provides is uh, a platform to allow these brands to engage, acquire, uh, and then retain uh, customers that they can own using all the different social networks that they have to maintain a presence on, uh, and reaching those consumers where they are on on mobile devices. Um, so we use a combination of HTML uh, uh, five uh, ad units that knock out all sorts of different uh, marketing objectives, pretty much everything you could think of. We've got an ad unit that does it. Um, and then, you know, as a marketer says, hey, you know, I want to grow my leads, they can go to the Moontoast platform, create an ad unit they completely control, the branding and the experience on. Um, they can put some money behind it, put it across Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, know that it's going to work on every single mobile device, 
uh, and then measure the results um, while the campaign is going and then at the end of the campaign. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a pretty pretty strong value proposition for brands. We, we work um, uh, very strongly in the auto industry. We work in the uh, retail industry quite a bit. Uh, we work in the media and entertainment space, uh, and then consumer tech and consumer product, good, product goods. Interesting. So now, did, which one of these two companies have you had the longest? Um, interestingly enough, um, you know, uh, uh, I, I pretty much started with both of them at the same time. Moontoast um, a little bit longer, um, mm-hmm. uh, probably pro- probably six months longer with with Moontoast, but both of them kind of hit me at the at the same time and, and point in my career. Um, so I've been you know Moontoast is is definitely you know kind of my my job and my and my role, and then you know uh, you know Jumpstart is is a passion of mine that. Uh, you know, it, it, it's I love doing it. I love kind of working with the companies and, you know, um, doing things where you get to work with other people on, on their businesses. It always kind of helps you in your own business because it gets you out of your own head. You get to see problems from a different perspective and you learn how other people are tackling problems. So, mm-hmm. um, you, know, those, you know, doing those types of things, you know, I always tell anybody who's, who's an entrepreneur and, and, and they have a company, you know, you should be an advisor to somebody. You should try and sit on some board somewhere because, um, you know, watching – somebody else go through some things that are very similar to what you're going through from the outside gives you a completely different perspective and, you know, uh, you can use what you learn in your own business. That is very interesting. I've never really thought about that, but it definitely makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, the, the, you, you learn by observing. It's kind of like becoming a coach for something. You know, it's, if you want to learn how to do it, you, you learn how to teach it, and then somewhere in there you figure out how to do it yourself and, Good yeah. things will happen. <laughs> I, I mean, m- most most of the people who are mentors at Jumpstart, uh, we we all kind of joke that you know we'll be mentoring one of the companies and we'll be telling them, you know, you really need to do this, and then like later on we'll say, you know, I really need to do that, right? Like <laughs> I'm sitting here telling this person what they need to do, and in all reality, like I've got the same problem, and uh, clearly I wasn't listening to myself, so I needed to hear myself say it to somebody else, like so you know, smarten up. Exactly, it's sort of the cobbler's kids and shoes thing. That's right. Mm-hmm. Now, in wrapping up, uh, this is going to be a little off track, but not really. So I kidded you before we got on the air about um, the fact that you have these two companies going and you do a bazillion things, but you still get eight hours of sleep a night. And that might sound totally phenomenal to other folks, but in short, how does an entrepreneur, you know, manage to do all that they do or you do and you still get eight hours of sleep? And you had a good point about how to do this. Yeah, so so I mean, I, you know, I think early on I didn't get eight hours of sleep when when I was the only person. Um, I think at some point you have to build, you know, build teams and set uh, set a precedent for you know what's important. Um, I just I function better in my waking hours when I'm well rested, uh, and I think everybody on on uh, on the teams that I work with should do the same. So, you know, getting good amount of sleep and you know getting some exercise and eating well, all those kind of things, you know, uh, I think are are just important. Um, even if you're doing more than one thing, you know, you just have to figure out how to, um, uh, you know, build a team so that uh, it, it doesn't interrupt you, you know, you taking care of yourself. Um, taking care of yourself has to come first. If you, don't, if you don't take care of yourself, then you can't take care of a company um, if you're not in good shape. Um, and I don't mean like, you know, like, uh, like you can bench press or run a certain amount. I mean like you have to be emotionally and physically, you know, uh, in, in a good headspace to be able to deal with people fairly, you know, um, uh, look at problems from all angles and actually, you know, come up with good solutions, um, to interact with people and not be snappy, you know, you have to be, you know, well-rested and, and kind of, you know, feeling good, generally speaking. So um, getting getting good sleep is important to me. I don't get it every night. When I don't, um, I don't perform as well, so I try and do it as much as I can. Excellent. And with that, we are pretty much at the end of our show. But, uh, Marcus, I want to thank you for your time and insights because I don't, you know, I, I feel like these kinds of issues people need to talk more about, learn more about, because there's going to come that moment, turn on the network, and all this broadband is going to flow forth. But they're going to have to get from that to results. And, and what you're doing is getting that results and, and getting people to understand what's important, and I, I think a lot of other communities need to look at this and say, you know what, we've got to put some programs in to really flesh out how we're going to get from point B to C and D, because we're, we're, we're going okay on the first 
part, but we need we need help on that second. So thanks a lot for your insight and your feedback and so forth. It's been really great having you on the show, and I will probably do this again one day, have you back on the show. Awesome. Awesome. I, I, I welcome that opportunity. Thanks for asking me to be on the show. I appreciate it. Excellent. And to our audience, thank you very much for being with us again for another show. We will be broadcasting from the Community Broadband Summit in Austin, Texas. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week.